Hey, welcome back to the Barrel Proof Baseball Podcast. Today, we have a special guest. We are joined by Duke University pitching coach, Chris Gordon. Uh, Chris and I go back a number of years now uh, when Chris was coaching up in Alaska uh, for the Matsu Miners, and I was coaching the Anchorage Bucks. And uh, we had some good good battles over a couple of years uh, up in the Alaska League. So I uh, got to know Chris really well up there and, and have kept in contact ever since. And so it's been really great to see him on his journey in coaching, going from you know, NAIA through Division One uh, as a volunteer assistant, you know, kind of a, uh, I believe it was an ops position, um, and now being the pitching coach at a, at a Power 5 school. So really cool uh, to talk to Chris about his journey and just get his thoughts on coaching in general. So um, I think you're really going to enjoy this. I think anybody who is coaching is going to take a lot from this conversation. Um, I think it's I think it's valuable for players to hear as well, uh, but definitely a lot of information from Chris in terms of moving up the ladder and continuing your coaching career and you know, maybe some advice thrown in there and maybe some stories, maybe some, some ideas that uh, people should keep in mind as they're trying to advance in their coaching career. So um, take a look at this interview with Chris Gordon. I think you'll really enjoy it. I think you're going to pull some really nice tidbits of information out from this. Um, in addition to Chris's conversation, I would also like to tell you about ways you can support the Barrel Proof Baseball podcast. If you don't want to hear it, fast forward to my conversation with Chris. But if you do, you can go on manscaped.com and you can get things like this for 20% off using the code BPB at manscaped.com. So Manscaped sent me their Perfect Package 3.0. It's got their uh, lawnmower 3.0. It's got a light. Uh, it's waterproof. Sent me the uh, the toner here, as well as the deodorant, the anti-chafing deodorant, and this nice travel bag. So uh, check that out at Manscaped. They also just recently sent me the weed whacker for your nose and ear hair. Uh, which now that I'm 40, I, I think I'm supposed to start doing that. So uh, if you're coming up on that magical age, you're probably going to want to have that on hand because you're going to need it essentially at some point in time. So might as well just get ahead of it. So grab that manscape.com 20% off free shipping using the code BPB. All right. I'll leave links below for all of these, but we've got manscaped. We got bottomless coffee. Okay. Bottomless coffee is cool. It's got a Wi-Fi enabled scale. You put your coffee beans on it. You select what kind you'd like. If you want, you know, gr uh, ground up coffee, if you want beans, if you want light, medium, dark roast, single origin, different regions, it's really cool. You set up what you want. And then once the scale reads that your coffee supply is getting low, they automatically send you more coffee. So you're not going to run out of it. So check that out. Click the link in the description box below. Um, you'll get a free bag. If you do, I will get a free bag, which is generous. Uh, well, it's generous of you to buy it for you, but also for me essentially. So yeah, check out bottomless coffee. There's a Patreon link. If you want to be a monthly subscriber, check that one out. Uh, if you want our Glen Karen, uh, Glen Karen glasses or ceramic coins, send me an email at barrelproofbaseball at yahoo.com. Um, also walk-offs and whiskey. These guys have been great to me. They just sent me a shirt and a hat. Um, that's going to be worn in a future episode. I'm super excited about it. Uh, but check those guys out on Instagram, walkoffsandwhiskey.com. If you use the code barrel proof baseball, all one word, you'll get 10% off on their website. 
walkoffsandwhiskey.com. Um, that's about it. So check the links below, little description uh, about my conversation with Chris, as well as all the ways you can support the podcast to help me pay the bills if you so choose to do so. Um, that's all I got. Check this one out. Chris Gordon, Duke University pitching coach. Leave some comments below. Be sure to subscribe. Enjoy. All right, Chris Gordon, thanks so much for jumping on here with me today. Yeah, man, I'm excited, man. It's been a long time. Good good to get to catch up. It's been way too long. I, I'm trying to think. It was the last time we saw each other at an ABCA or randomly in D.C.? I think randomly in D.C. <laughs> I think when you were getting engaged, I think yeah. that weekend. So Yeah, it was 4th of July in like 20, oh God, 17? 17, and, yeah, I think yeah. so. Yeah. And I'd either like just proposed to my now wife or was about to and probably had the ring in my pocket. <laughs> yeah, it was the next day, I think. I think because we, we yeah. saw it on Facebook the next day. Yeah. Yep. You guys just ran into you randomly. I was like, I know that guy. That's so weird. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's All great world. to catch up with you, man. It's been it's been too long. Absolutely. I really want to get into kind of your, you know, your path in coaching. And I think it's very interesting. And you've you've been a guy that's been at different levels. And now obviously being a pitching coach at Duke university and a power five, um, you know, dude, you've come a long way from, you know, your beginnings in coaching. And I really, I think that's a good story to tell about going through those, those stages of coaching and, and like learning about yourself as a coach and kind of cutting your teeth. And so you kind of take me through a little bit of that from, you know, how you got into coaching and uh, where you start and all that. And so oh, I got sure. into uh, um, coaching because I wasn't a very good player. Oh. <laughs> you know, I uh, uh, couldn't keep playing and I just loved to love to be around baseball. And, and I played in college for Danny Clark, who's now the minor league pitching coordinator for the Rangers. And he was an unbelievable teacher, uh, loved being around and loved listening in the bullpen because I was a catcher and was down there a lot and um, got to listen to him uh, teach. And, you know, it kind of inspired me a little bit. And then, um, when I got out of uh, college, um, my first summer, I had a, I got a pitching job at a, actually Danny got it for me, basically just said, hey, you're going to be, go to the Southern, uh, it was the Southern Collegiate Baseball League, Wooden Bat League there. They had a team in Johnson City. He said, you're going to go be the pitching coach there. And I was like, I don't know anything about pitching. He's like, well, you got about a month, so figure it out. <laughs> and uh, uh, so I kind of went to school a little bit and, you know, like all of us, we trial and error, uh, you know, with, with players. And so I did that. I actually did it for four, four summers. But in the meantime, I went to um, Science Hill High School and uh, took a job there with, with uh, um, Ryan Edwards, who's the head coach, who honestly, um, he was so great to me. Let me, let me make a lot of mistakes. Uh, let me learn a lot. Um, Ed Reed, who was a, a former big league catcher, was on that staff. His son, his son played on the team. So learned a lot from him, too. And, and uh, that was a great summer. I actually got to coach a, a, a big leaguer. Um, Daniel Norris was a freshman on that team. And now he's in the big leagues with tires. And um, but then I went back to my alma mater at Milligan. Um, while I was working at uh, Science Hill, I was working six to six at night at a paper factory. And I would come in and, and sleep in Ryan Edwards's office for a little while. And uh, luckily I only worked four nights a week. So the other nights I get a little bit of sleep, but, um, and then would coach. And then, uh, like I said, I got the job back at my alma mater at Milligan when uh, Nathan Mead, one of my teammates got the job and 
Um, I was the I coach catchers and was the volunteer for a year when Joel Mangrum, who's a minor league uh, pitching coach in the uh, Indians organization, now was our pitching coach. And after a year, he left and I took that job and uh, got to do it for uh, four years. And, um, you know, we had some success. We had some good teams, some really good players. Um, and then um, I left in tw- the summer of 2013. So the 2014 season, I was at East Tennessee as a volunteer. Um, Kyle Bunn was the pitching coach then, um, and Kyle obviously been at Clemson and Alabama and Ole Miss and really, really smart guy, Um, and uh, I learned a lot from him in a year, and and when he left, luckily Tony Skoll uh, promoted me, and uh, I was pitching coach there for three years, and then, uh, you know, Coach Coach Skoll left to go to his, back to his alma mater, the Citadel, and um, I was kind of looking for a job, and wasn't a lot of stuff out there. I was really nervous. First time I'd been without a team, you know, and had interviewed a few places. But uh, luckily, um, Coach Pollard, I'd known for 10 years working the camp circuit. We all we all work and mm-hmm. I'd known him for a long time. And um, his op- director of operations job opened up and I was fortunate enough to, to get that job and um, was here when, when I got here. Um, Coach Blake, we were in the transition between Coach Mackey and Coach Blake. Coach Mackey now the, uh, was a bullpen coach for the Twins last year. And then Coach Blake was our pitching coach my, my first three years here, um, but was the director of operations. And then he left literally the day before practice started in the, in the uh, spring this year to, to go be the Cardinals run prevention coordinator, I think is the, the title that they gave him. Um, so just was fortunate to be in the right spot, the right time, and, and get an opportunity. And obviously, uh, you know, this is a dream come true, uh, being at a place like this and with the resources that we have and the people that I can be around, the players that I can – coach it's been uh, I've been I've been really fortunate I think you know obviously it takes time commitment hard work but you also got to get really lucky in this business too and I think we all know that yeah certainly and I think for one going back to like your first job at Science Hill I mean like high school baseball now you're you're a pitching coach and in, in a power five school and I think there's something to be said from, you know, and I, I did the same thing. My first coaching job was, I'm not a power five school, but my first job was a high school freshman head coach. And I, I think, again, not to like give us a lot of credit because I think we're more awesome than other people, but like there is something to be said about going through the process of different levels of baseball and, and working your way up and, you know, experiencing different things and getting that in-game experience that everybody's trying trying to trying to get you know everybody wants that experience but i don't know if people realize how valuable that is and especially doing it at different levels a hundred percent and 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 having to be creative you know sometimes sometimes when we're we're coaching really talented players we don't have to be that creative and and figuring out a way for them to be successful but Mm -hmm. when you're coaching high school and you're 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 coaching ai and you're looking for you know any little edge you can give a guy and sometimes that it kind of stretches you makes you makes you think outside the box and and i i I had as much fun coaching those guys as I do oh. these guys. I mean, it, it's, uh, you know, I, I was fortunate enough to talk to my alma mater um, during the COVID stuff. They had me on a Zoom and I got to talk to those guys. And one of the players asked me, said, you know, is the biggest difference between your guys and guys that you coach at this level, how hard they work? And I was like, no, not oh. at all. Like the guys worked out hard at every level I've been at. It's just, you know, um, and that's what makes it fun is, is you, you see a guy who's really grinding. You know, I coached, you know, Ethan Fleener, a kid I remember really worked hard and, and, uh, and Milligan. And when he had success, man, I, I felt as good as I do any time because, you know, you just you know how much it means to those guys. And, and I do. I think coaching at those lower levels will 
keep your ego batted down a little bit, but also make you be uh, um, be creative in the way that you want to get guys better. Yeah, I definitely agree. I think there's there's uh, challenges regardless of where you're at. There's perks of being different places. Like you said, I had a lot of fun coaching high school baseball. I did it for six years. I had a blast. You know, and then you get into, I got into junior college and it was like, oh, this is different. You know, now you're dealing with a different level of guy and it's just, it, it's changing and adapting, but I don't think anything's necessarily good or bad. And I don't think for guys trying to get into coaching, it's necessarily a bad move to get into high school, junior college, because you get those opportunities to be in the dugout, be in the game, learn from things that are actually happening, learning to deal with players, like learning to deal with the emotions and the ups and downs of players and not just like this looks good. So, hey, go do it and we'll address the rest later. Oh, 100 percent. And and getting to make mistakes, getting to fail mm-hmm. and not being afraid to fail. You know, that that's the that's the toughest part when you when you if you get your first job on a big stage, it's like, oh, man, I don't want to do anything that, mm-hmm. you know, kind of outside the box or I might might screw up. Well, you know, not to say that you want you, you want to fail when you start, but you're not afraid to take chances. You're not afraid to do things. Um you know, and it's funny you said that about the same challenges. I, I was fortunate when I first got to coaching, I got to spend some time with Pat Murphy when he was at Arizona State. Um, and so I, I was out there t- talking to him and he said, and, and I, I'll never forget this. He said, well, we, we got the same problems. We'll have a lot to talk about. I was like, uh, I'm at Milligan College. I don't think we had the same problems. And he's like, oh, absolutely we do. He's like, mine might be named a little bit different, but they're the same problems. And he was mm-hmm. right. And we we had we did have a lot to talk about and a lot to compare notes on. So I thought that was pretty cool. And something I've always thought about um, when, I, when I've been coaching is that the problems are the same everywhere. It's, it's dealing with kids. It's dealing with 18 to 22-year-olds or 14 to 18-year-olds. And uh, dealing with egos and emotions and feelings and all those things that we that we constantly battle every single day. And I think that gets lost in the translation sometimes because, like you said, 14 to 18 may be one, one issue, but at the end of the day, those kids are they're people and you're coaching people first and they're not where they want to be and they're ultimately working for something different. And then you get into college and it's the same exact thing. They're just a little bit older. They've got a family, whether they're near them or they're away, that they're talking to good, bad, whatever the coach is doing, like there's still the dinner, uh, the dinner table conversations. They, they might just be happening over the phone now. So everybody's dealing with something. And in the end, like we're just coaching people that are trying to achieve something. Yeah. 100%. We're just, and all we're trying to do is give them the tools to, to be successful. And, and, and we're, we're supposed to be there for the bad times, you know, like mm-hmm. it, when they're good, like anybody can do it, you know, they can yep. roll the balls out and really good players can play, but we're supposed to be there to kind of, the, the, to make the valleys a little shorter, you know, mm-hmm. and that, that's where you, you, I think as a coach, you can really make your way is, is when those guys struggle. Can you, can you shorten that length of time that they struggle? Yeah. I, it's funny. You mentioned um, Joel Mangrum. I didn't know you were with Mangrum at, at Milligan. Joel, I got to know him very little, just a couple of conversations through Joel Pedretti actually, because yeah. uh, you know, him and Joel Pedretti go back both Joel's. Um, and then, and then when he went to New Mexico state and I was at New Mexico, you know, we got to know each other a little bit and he was, he was, um, he was a good resource for me. He was always a good conversation for me as well. Um, you know, for me trying to move from like a volunteer position into a full-time position. And, uh, he was always a good resource. I always thought very highly of Joel Mangrum. Yeah. I I learned a a lot about, uh, kind of the, um, you know, the one thing I thought he was really good at when I was at Milligan was the, the, the mental side of things. He's really good at getting our guys in a really good uh, um, framework to be successful. And I always, I learned a lot because that's not anything I had done before. You know, I just not really thought about that piece of it. I was always like, oh, mechanics and 
this and we do this throwing program, you know, and it'll get them right. And it's like, well, there's another side of it too. Yeah. Um, your, so when we met was up in, up in Alaska in 2011, probably yeah. 11 or 12, yeah. 11 what, and 12. Yeah. Yeah. What was your, you know, your pitching coach one year and then head coach the next year, you know, what was your experience like up there? And I mean, obviously I enjoyed getting to know you and, and getting to hang out off the field with you as well, but, um, you know, talk about your Alaska experience a little bit. Yeah, it was unbelievable. Uh, the, the reason I got an opportunity up there was one of my players went in 2010, um, he was a closer for us, Jason Trivet, and he pitched really well for the minors. And um, uh, they really liked him there as just as a person. And, and uh, Pete, uh, the GM, called and said, hey, really appreciate you sending this guy to me. Is there anything I can do for you? And I said, well, if you ever have a job open, you know, let me let me interview for it. He said, well, it's funny you said that. I, we, we just hired a, um, a head coach and uh, we don't uh, we don't have a um, pitching coach yet. So I'll give you his number. And so. Uh, Brian Yockey was the guy and I reached out to him. We connected right away. And um, he was uh, just phenomenal. I mean, I can't say enough good about uh, Brian just as a person. The first off um, we, we had a, an interesting summer. We had a lot of kids that have to go home that first summer. We had a uh, assistant coach have to go home and it, it, it really, anybody else, it would have been, it would have been a really difficult summer, but he was unbelievable. I mean, he made it great. Our players enjoyed it. Um, and then I, I was fortunate enough next year to go back up and be the head coach. And I loved it up there. I really did. Yeah. It was part of the country that I would never have went to anyway, just because, you know, why would you go to Alaska? Obviously when I went up there, I saw why people go, it's unbelievably beautiful. I tell people all the time that you come out of Ted Stevens airport, you come out of the kind of security, you know, area, and there's all that glass in the mountains right there. And you're like, Oh my gosh, you know, yeah. this is unbelievable. And then the high, you know, highway one heading to, to Palmer, you just drive there and you just can't believe this is real life. It was unbelievable. And then the people I met up there, uh, the person who suggested this, this uh, Matt Dudas, yeah. uh, unbelievable, made a lifelong friend up there. He's our radio guy. Um, he was, uh, he's unbelievable. Um, I, we text almost all the time. He, he, he texts me about lineups. Uh, you know, he's like, Hey, we got Erickson DH today. I never thought I'd see the day, you know, like, um, he's, uh, he's a great, great guy. I made, lifelong friends and then we had a ton of fun I, I had a fun a lot of fun competing against you and your club and you had, you had some really good players too uh up there and uh you know gosh the two years that I was up there so many big leaguers came through Aaron yeah. Judge I mean Braden Shipley uh, I mean uh Kyle Freeland uh there's wisdom mean, the, Patrick Wisdom yeah the list goes on and on I mean it was yeah. that was a really good thing for me to see because one of the things I thought that really made me grow as a coach is because man, I had all these players from all these different universities. And I, and I had that in the Southern Collegiate League too, you know, but these were big time names, big time players. And I, and I, and they were going in bullpens and they were trying to work on the same stuff that our guys were at Milligan. And I'm like, now, wait a minute. You know, I thought there was some kind of, you know, next level thing that and they, they were trying to do the same stuff. And I realized um, that, you know, Hey, the stuff that we're trying to do, there's, it, it's, it may get a little bit more complex, but it, it's the same stuff. And yeah. um, and just getting connect with coaches from the, you know, I remember talking to all their pitching coaches and all their head coaches, just getting a, a chance to um, put names and, and they, they know me now, you know, when we went to the ABCA, I could introduce myself. That, the one thing that I, I hate now is kind of this idea that you don't need to coach summer ball to move, to move up. I, it, it was, man, it, it made me so much better. I learned so much from those six years I spent coaching summer baseball um I, I hate that guys think sometimes that that's a 
that's a that's a step to skip because to me that was one of the most important things that I did. Yeah, that was gonna be my next question is, is the importance of summer ball. And I, I, I agree with you hundred percent. I think for one, it, it leads you to like for me, I was in a junior college when I was up there. And now I've got guys from schools, I mean, coast to coast, coming from different programs, different thought processes. And you know, I remember when it became very clear to me was my very first year, you know, at a left-handed hitter up kid from rice and there's a runner at second, nobody out. And like, he kind of shoots a ball the other way, like flips at it and, and flies up to left field. And then we start talking about, you know, try to pull something, man, try to yank a ball, at least get him over. And, and he, at the time made it very clear that that's not really something that they did at the, at, at rice, you know, during that, that period, it was just, Hey, hit the ball hard wherever it's pitched. And I'm coming from a California junior college where like, if you get on first base and top of the first inning, like we're going to bunt them to second. Yeah, right. <laughs> and, and so like, it was very different. And then you realize though, as you move on and you get into division one baseball and you've got guys from different areas in the country and getting into even professional baseball, where now you've got guys from all over the country and all over the world, people play the game differently. So you're adapting also as a coach to different styles that are being played. So then you're trying to implement kind of your beliefs, but, but allowing guys to have the freedom to play as well. But I, I talk, touch a little bit more on like the importance and like things you get out of summer ball. Cause I'm with you. I think it's a huge step that should not be overlooked. The, the thing you just said is the most important thing is you have to, you have to have some to play it in a team environment, even if it's for 40 games in summer, you have to have some sort of system and, you know, kind of, um, this is the way we're going to do things. But like you said, you've got so many guys that are from different, that have different beliefs, different systems, all those kinds of things. Convincing them to play inside of the system without changing everything, because you, you're sending them back to, but just like you said, hey, man, here we're going to ask you to try to, you know, hit that, hit the ball the right side and get that guy over. Um, you know, being able to have that conversation with the kid and not be confrontational, not be um, defensive. Um, and, and, and be able to respond to the way he takes it is huge because you don't, you, you don't have that, uh, the whole fall to build a relationship. The kid just got there, you know, and, and it makes you really be on your, you, you really know your stuff because you're going to get, you're going to get questions going to say, well, this is why we don't do that here. And sometimes my mind was changed because a kid would say something and say, Hey, you know, okay, that, that, that's right. You know, I, I get, I get the idea there. Um, but yeah. And then just, dealing with expectations, those kids, you know, we get it, especially in Alaska, you get guys that are draft year guys that they're, are going to have, or finishing up their sophomore year, going to go into their draft year. And they think, Hey, I gotta be a starter up here. I gotta get this many innings. And they have all these expectations and you have to manage 10 guys like that on staff or 12 mm -hmm. guys like that on the staff and how, how good the communication has to be day in and day out with guys you don't really know. Um, and, and, I think the best thing for me is I had to have a ton of uncomfortable conversations. Yeah. Some conversations that I didn't want to necessarily have, but they make you better because, you know, you got to sit down in that room and say, listen, I know you came up here to be a starter, but we got five of those and you're just not going to be one of them right now. Keep pitching better and you'll know, see what happens. But yeah, I mean that, that part of it. And then just even the staff, you don't know this, maybe, you know, them a little bit, but you haven't worked with them, you know, day in and day out. Um, and, and having those personalities mesh, having those, thought processes mesh. I mean, we, when we, when I was up there my first year, uh, my second year as a head coach, we had, we, we got off to a terrible start and we had a screaming match in the, in the, uh, uh, in the coach's office because of the way things were going, but it was great because that's just something you have to learn to do as a coach. You have to learn to deal with other highly motivated uh, type A personalities that aren't always going to agree. Um, and I think it's a great, and there's no, um, 
there's no third third party to kind of step in. You just got to hash it out. You got to figure it out, you know. Um, and the, also the play in every day is such a big thing because I used to say all the time, like my first six years in coaching were like 12 because I got a full season every year of games in the summer. And I got to see situations more. I got to see, um, you know, um, how guys handled things, how breaking balls worked, how changeups worked, just because you get double the games. Um, I, I think it's as a young coach, when the guys reach out to me for advice and that's a bad idea to ask me for advice, but some people do believe it or not. Um, I tell them all the time camps and summer, summer baseball is two of the best things you can do. I could not agree anymore. I mean, those are for one, the people that you meet, the, like you said, the relationships that you, that you create just because again, these guys are sending you their players and you get that conversation with some of these coaches at schools that, you know, as a young coach and you're maybe in a position that you're still looking to move up, you're like, man, that's a school I would, I would like to coach at one day. I'm going to keep my, uh, my connection with that guy going, you know, and, and those relationships help in the long run, you know, and then, like you said, creating uncomfortable conversations, um, that need to be had. And if, when you're the head coach, like that's a conversation that's on your plate to have. And especially as a young guy with opportunities to go out and have those conversations with whether it be players or coaches from schools, because you, you have to be honest with those guys too. And they say, Hey, how's my, how's my guy? Well, he's a turd. Like he doesn't show up on time. You know, he's not doing the right things and you have to be honest. And that's um, that, that, and then the, I will remember the very first time when I was co the head coach up there and the pitching coach walked in and he goes, Hey, we got to score 40 today. I'm like, what are you talking about? And he goes, we got about four innings of pitching. And, you know, like I hadn't even thought about it, but that was probably the first time where I'm going into a game going, we're going to get smoked. Now, how do I manage this? Yeah, you right. Know? Absolutely. Because it's a real thing. Yes. And, and think about, you know, how many times during the week that you, you know, when you play three games and you play another game, and you got two days off, you don't think about the bullpen management. There's a piece to it. But when you play every day, mm -hmm. you, you have to learn to be good at it. And to be honest, when I first started, I wasn't good at it. And, and we would look up on days like that and be like, uh, man, we don't, we don't have anybody. So, oh, yeah, that seven to uh, five game or seven to four game when I threw the closer for two innings, probably a bad plan now, you know. Uh, um, so, yeah, absolutely. Uh, all those things are important. And, and you talk about building relationships with coaches. It, it's funny. I, I interviewed with Mike Bianco, and one of the things we talked about was Will Jamison playing for us in the summer. Um, and, and it, it, it's a real thing. I mean, it's a real thing that would have never had a chance to have a conversation with, uh, Lafferty, uh, would never have. And then when I interviewed with Bianco, there was something there to talk about because I'd worked one of his camps and we had Will Jameson, you know, so those, it, those are real things. Yeah. And those camps are huge, man. Just getting out and just being on the road, getting used to that, being on the road, getting to know people from other schools and going to, and it's fun, man. I'm sorry, but like oh, that, doing what? that that volley life really was enjoyable. I, I did, I would, uh, the, I, I would highly suggest to people like, don't skip that because going out, doing those camps, meeting people, being on the road, you know, finishing up like a, an inner squad at your, at your place on like a Friday or Saturday, and then getting on a plane and jetting out for a two day camp and then going back to work. It's like, it's, it's a, it's a challenge, but it's like your first challenge. And if you want to know what it's like to be on the road, recruiting and still coaching your guys and making everybody important, like that's a good way to do it. And you've got a billion names too, that you've got to sort through. Yes. And, and it does, it makes you better as an evaluator because yeah, you, you have to watch it. You watch a lot of kids and you, and you get start to now um, everything's about context. And if you don't see enough players, you can't put the good ones or the bad ones in context. And yeah. 
as a, as a volunteer, it's hard to get that context because you don't get to get, get out and camps are the, the best way you can do it. And um, you want to show a head coach, you know, how you work, what, what baseball means to you, all those things. July when it's a hundred degrees and you're on turf and uh, it's a little kid's camp or it's a, you know, a, a high school prospect camp and, and you're flying around and you have good energy and you're doing your job and you're, you, you're doing all that. Like they pay attention to that. I mean, it's yeah. the reason why I got a job at Duke. I mean, cause I worked coach Pollard's camp when they were at app, I worked it. When they moved over here, I worked in, I worked everyone. I drove over here. I worked everyone I could, I could work. And um, he, 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 he said it in the press release when he hired me that, the reason why is because of the way he worked at camp. And I mean, and the two guys that we hired to replace my position were both guys that work our camps. That's incredible. It's just shows the value of those things. And, and it's not reaching out to people as scary as it can be sometimes is really the most, um, it's a, it's a huge skill to have. And I think for oh, young absolutely. coaches, especially just not being able to not being afraid to be told no and not being afraid to say, Hey, like I want to come and work your camp. You know, and I want to come work for you. Like, do it. What are they gonna say no? And who cares? You know, I mean, yeah. and yeah, and I think so many guys are kind of crippled by the. I'm at so and so school, and they doesn't matter. Work. It doesn't matter. It matters zero percent. It, yep. it matters zero percent. Just be willing to work. Be flexible. And I know when when I hired, when I was hiring for our camps here. I could care less what school I, I cared about the, the person. And if I had met him and worked with other camps, they're like that guy I can count on. So I know that when I'm not, when I can't be at field B, I know the right things are happening because he's over there. So that, that idea that, you know, man, I, I can't talk to those guys because where I'm at, it's, I, I think it's ridiculous. Yeah, I agree. Put yourself out there a little bit. Um, I, what, when you were at ETSU, you were, you were there as the vol- volunteer, right? Yeah. And then got bumped to pitching coach, recruiting coordinator. Yeah. How's that? How's that transition going from the volunteer? And, and this, this is a conversation I've had with the guys from time to time. When you're the volunteer, you're in a different position with your relationship with the players. 100%. For one, you can be for two. You, I think you kind of have to be. And because I think there is a person they need to have that they can talk to that, you know what, like, I'm, some of this is going to get filtered and probably go to the head guy, but like there's a piece of it that's going to stay here and you can count on me to have this conversation. How is that adjustment going from being in that volunteer role to be, and being that guy to being now you're the pitching coach, you're recruiting coordinator, you're the full-time guy. And maybe there is a shift in your, your role or your availability to the players to have that same conversation with you. Yeah, I, I, it, you're 100% right. As a volunteer, you're you're a liaison, but you're also, uh, you know, you're a sounding board sometimes. You're just the yeah. guy that they come talk to. And sometimes the way that you message that, you, you filter it a little bit, and, and, you're, and you're supposed to. That's how it works. Um, but, yeah, they become the pitching coach. It's it's a, a different um, – it is a different relationship. I think I've heard head coaches talk about it a lot. They get bumped from assistant to head coach. Players are always in their office, then they get the head job, and no one's in there unless there's a problem. You know, um, I think number one, you just have to be authentic. You can't you can't try to be somebody you're not because players will see right through it. Um, I'm a I'm a pretty easygoing guy. I don't uh, I'm not a yeller or screamer. Um, you know, I can be frustrated like everybody, but for the most part, I, I'm I'm pretty even even tempered. So I didn't try to do anything different except for you know I tried to be really honest about. I think. Um, maybe, maybe Lasorda said it, uh, you know, if you tell them the truth, they'll hate you for a day. If you, if you lie to them, they'll hate you for forever. Um, so I, I think just the, you can be a little bit more of the, um, you know, the back pattern cheerleader as the vol volunteer, but when you, 
when you're, you know, in charge of a position, you got to sometimes just shoot them straight. And it's sometimes, again, it's stuff they don't want to hear, but you got to tell them like, you know, and, and I have a great success story that I always think about when we get to the, uh, Daniel Sweeney is a kid I coached at um, East Tennessee. When I got the pitching job, he was coming in as a freshman. He's now their volunteer, um, does an unbelievable job at East Tennessee. Um, he's an up-and-comer. He's going to be a guy. He, he's not skipping any steps. He's doing it the right way. Um, he's going to be really good. But um, his first bullpen, I told him, I said, Daniel, you don't, your stuff's not good enough to, to pitch here. Uh, you know, it's just you, you, that needs to be your focus, making your stuff better. Big old six-foot-six kid, played basketball in high school, really good athlete. And the kid did not like to hear it, which mm-hmm. no one does, okay? But the, the, the next day, there was, no, there was no kind of feeling sorry for himself or anything. He went to work. And for a while, you didn't see anything. In inner squads, he was getting beat up. Uh, then towards the end of the year, it's like, man, he's throwing some sim games. Like, he's making some pitches. Like, it's getting better. You know, bullpen started getting better. You know, next thing you know, the next year, he gets some opportunities. He pitches well. Probably should have had some more opportunities. Um, and then, you know, goes into a, a junior and senior year, and he, he's a weekend starter for him. He pitches great. Um, it earns the, you know, we, we all want to be really successful. But you know what he did? He earned the respect of his teammates and his coaches, and that's why he got a job coaching there. They, they, mm-hmm. they created a director of operations position to keep him because how much they respected wow. him. Then he moved into the vol spot because he earned his, his teammates respect. And so a little off topic from your question, but I think you got to be honest with guys and you just got to, you got to shoot them straight. And, um, and there has to be a little bit more um, distance between you because as you can, you can, you can definitely be a resource for these guys, but there's going to come a time when you have to discipline them. There's going to be a time when you have to, to, to tell them something they don't want to hear. And as we know, it's hard to do with your friends, you know? So um, obviously we want to be there for them, but we're, we're kind of like father figures out, you know, when they're, when they're there for us, when their parents kind of drop them off for us. But, um, but just like your dad, he doesn't mind to, to get on you. You know, you mm-hmm. got to be able to have that. You can't have that moment where you pause and say, Oh, I don't want to get on him because our relationship, yeah. you know? It's yeah. You almost have to be the uncle. You know, like, like we can, you can tell me stuff, but like, doesn't mean I'm not going to whoop your butt. Yeah. 100%. 100. That's, you know? a, that's a great way of thinking of it. Yeah. So, so you ETSU, um, you know, you finish up there after five years, correct? So I was there. So uh, three is a pitching coach. One is a volunteer. So four okay. years, ago. four years at ETSU, um, you know, and like I said, you're in a position where you're looking for a job and Duke comes up and get an opportunity again, like you said, based on the work that you've done, uh, being around the staff, being around the head coach and, and having him see your body of work. What is your role immediately upon, you know, getting to Duke? Yeah. So I was the director of operations and I was really fortunate because when I got here, Trapman was being installed literally a month later. Um, and none of, none of us had any experience in it. And uh, I just basically said, I'll figure it out, you know, and uh, it was a large undertaking, but what it allowed me to do this and this is not a knock on the director of operations position at all, but I wanted to be able to say at the end of the day, when we won or lost, I had something to do with it, you know, other mm-hmm. than the meals and the hotels. And the, yeah. I wanted to say, I wanted to feel like in the dugout that I, I impacted us winning or losing. And I thought the data was the, the number one way to do it. I said, this is, this is my Avenue. So I kind of went in it full bore. Um, we built a little analytics team. Um, we, we started doing in-house stuff um, and really just tried to kind of, um, 
really be at the forefront of using it for player development. And luckily our staff was really receptive to it. We've got unbelievable staff. Jason Steen, our hitting coach, is one of the best in the country. Uh, Josh Jordan won ABCA Assistant Coach of the Year in uh, 19. Um, and then our head coach, I think Coach Pollard's best hit, uh, best head coach in the country. At, um, uh, and those guys were really open to it. And what the, the thing that we did was we asked questions and, and we were said, hey, is this – what we're doing, is this working? And we were able to use the data and sometimes it was yes, sometimes it was no. And um, those guys were willing to kind of um, make changes and do things differently based on what the data was telling us. So um, that was that was how kind of I had my opportunity to show our staff, my baseball IQ and, and how, and, and my work ethic and how I was gonna go about things. Um, and one of the things that I think was great was Coach involved me in every meeting, every staff meeting. When we had lineups and pitching talks, I was right there. I, I got to give my, um, you know, two cents. And sometimes we, we, we took my suggestions, sometimes we didn't. But it gave me that opportunity to kind of show um, Coach what I, you know, where I was as a baseball person, not just as a, you know, an operations person. And so, um, you know, I, I was fortunate enough that, you know, he believed in me enough to give me an opportunity. And, you know, to be honest, there wasn't like another power five was going to come and pluck me out of the operations position to go mm -hmm. be a pitching coach. You know, this is, this was the place that, that I needed to make that. And to be honest, I stuck around. I had some other opportunities at times for, for other jobs, to, but I stuck around because I really, this is, this is where I wanted to be because of the group of guys that I got to, the coaches I got to work with. Um, and, and obviously we're super talented. We bring in unbelievable players. Um, so it obviously makes my job a lot, a lot easier. Mm -hmm. And working for a head coach that gives you your place on the staff, like you have your job, this is your thing, do it, dominate it. And like, you've got this, you know, and then when it's, when it's done and it's done well, and there's quality work behind it and having it be recognized, I think that's such a good, a good thing for assistants to see and feel from that head coach. And so that just increases the loyalty, like huge, huge increase when you know that guy's giving you a job to do and you're able to do it and he respects the fact that you're going out and doing it. Yeah. And I would have never thought to kind of, to ask those type of questions until I got here. But I, I tell guys all the time when you, when you're interviewing, you know, talk to the assistants and ask, you know, is your job description clear? It, are there, uh, you know, milestones for you to hit for you can, you know, Hey, we, we are getting better in the area that I'm in charge of, you know, and obviously it's easy when it's the hitting coach or pitching coaches are giving up more runs or less runs. But when the, those other jobs as volunteer director of operations, director of player development, these new roles that are coming, it's, it's really important to have that because that's how you can sell yourself, not just at that program, but other programs, you know? Um, and we're all, I mean, we're all trying to um, even if it's not move on we're all trying to, better our profile, better what we, you know, have some validation for what we do um, and see if it works. Um, and I think that, um, yeah, the, the, where it all starts is your head coach. I work for an unbelievable one. Um, he, he holds you accountable and no doubt about it. I mean, it's not easy and it shouldn't be. Um, but uh, when you clearly know what's your, you know, kind of your role, your preview and um, you know, and you, you don't, there's not a lot of pats on the back, but there's, uh, there's the, the satisfaction of, Hey, you're doing it. You're doing what you're supposed to do and you're getting it done at, at a high level. And, and obviously the bar is set really high here. Yeah. And if you're doing it for the pats on the back, 
probably not uh, not going to last really business. long. Yeah, yeah. those pats are few and far between sometimes. So yeah. do, find your find your why outside of the pat on the back. <laughs> no doubt. No the doubt. Um, the analytics, the numbers, the data, you know, the technology, all that stuff, obviously is becoming more important. And you know, we use it at our level like crazy. And it's obviously getting into college baseball and, and the programs that can afford that stuff are really diving into the numbers and the data and the technology like head first and really getting into it. Where do you see the, um, the impact the most, I guess you would say with the, the, um, availability to those numbers that you guys have, um, and, and the advantage that you have by having the, those things available to you, you know, how do you guys use that? Like to your, to your advantage? I think the, the, the best way to describe it is, you know, if you have this continuum where a guy needs to be, you know, on this side, it's four seam curveball guy. And on this side, it's a sinker slider guy, you know, and he's so much closer to four seam uh, curveball guy, but we didn't know that in the past. So we might be trying to go the other way, you know, and, it, and it's such a further jump, but now with the data, we can look immediately and say, Hey, you're really close to having an outlier in this direction. So we know what direction is the shortest path, you know, to him being different. And that's what we're looking, looking for on the, on the pitching side is something to be an outlier and, and something that you can kind of lean on. Um, mm. So I think that's the start. And, and same thing with hitters, you know, we get, um, you know, Kyle Gallagher is a guy that came into our program. Um, Cornell guy was an unbelievable athlete. Um, when he got here, he had unbelievable exit velos, but everything was a six, three. I mean, he's hitting one ten, but he's hitting it at the shortstop. And it's, we, it's, it's so clear to you can just show it to him and say, look, man, the reason why you're not having the success you you're capable of having is because you're not hitting the, your, your launch angles are, are terrible. You know um, we have to make that better. So, and, and obviously you say, well, yeah, you could see that with your eyes. Yes. But you don't get instant feedback in the cage on the field. Every time that he takes a swing with the bat, there's that boom, it pops up right away. And he knows like, yeah, or nay, you know, and, and um, I, it, it, they did get such a bad rap, like that it's, you know, oh, it's ruining the game because this and that. The reality is, is that it's just information. People are still processing it. People are still using it. It's just information. Um, and uh, I think the people that become better at, I think they will get into a stage where everyone's going to have some sort of ball tracking for the most part. Everybody's going to have some sort of ball tracking data. So everyone's going to have some sort of um, pre-contact data for hitters, whether it be blast or whatever. Um, what's going to separate you now is can you get buy-in from your players? Um, can you use it efficiently so that it, that it's all about investment costs. How long does it take to make him better? You know, I mean, it, at your level, if, if you, if it takes a guy seven years to get to, to where he, it doesn't matter that it works, it, work, it takes too long for it to work, you know, um, and we're in the same boat, you know, if it takes us three years for the guy to be good enough, it's too long. Um, so how can we narrow that investment cost for making those guys better, quick, quicker? Um, and I think the first thing that you can knock out is kind of the ambiguity of, is that really what's happening? Well, we know for sure this is what's happening. And so that box is checked, you, you know, here, here's what's happening. How can we get it to, here's where you need to be. Here's where we're at. Let's, let's go in that direction. Um, so to me, that's where it's being um, used the best, but I think also um, the players have an access to it. You know, that's the, that's the next step is, is teaching your guys um, 
because they're getting it more and more. We should be giving it to them more and more. We, we give, we have our players access to it all the time, but educating those guys. So they know they can, they can make those adjustments themselves. They can start learning what it means. When, when am I good? I'm in this range when I'm good. Okay. Well, I can, I start to relate, you know, tilt numbers with how I feel. And that now all of a sudden I can make adjustments on the mound without seeing trap man, because I know, Hey, my ball typically does this when I'm at where I'm supposed to be. It's not doing that. I've got to make an adjustment. Um, so I think those things are hugely important and, and just get the value of being able to do it, be able to see that information right after a rep is I, I just, I think that's what's so important. And I, I think you're right on with the fact that like the data itself, just a pure number. Like, I don't know that that's necessary. I think that, I think that is being taken right now as like, that's showing you a result and there's not a feel incorporated with that result. And, and like you said, yes, you have that tilt and this is how I felt. And now it's like, okay, let's recreate that feel and see if that recreates this number and, and not just, okay, well, this was this exit velo. So I'm going to swing harder now and see if I, it's not, it's not necessarily that like, is there a bat path issue that's creating, you know, a lack of the launch angle that you're desiring or, you know, a, whatever it might be, but like, what's the correlation between what you did and what that number is. And cause sometimes it's just a measurement. You know, and it's just, it's like exit velo off the tee. It looks awesome and it's sweet, but like that tells you nothing about what type of a hitter you are. You might have the ability to do that, but does that mean you can hit? Like, no, but if you take a good swing and you're getting some sort of a metric that shows that the swing, the, you know, path, whatever it is that blast is measuring, and then the exit velo is there. Now you're putting things together that incorporate two different types of, of data, as well as how, how'd I move what I do. Yeah, one hundred percent. You hit the nail on the head. It's a, a naked number is nothing. I mean, it's nothing without it's context. Um, it's nothing, and and that's my argument sometimes with um, what we see sometimes with like pitch design is like, mm -hmm. oh, we want to get to this um, this IBB number. Well, hey, there, there's so many things that go into that that just chasing that naked number is not going to make you better. It may make mm -hmm. you worse. Um, and so just getting, and that's where I think the education for the players is so important so that, because again, they're going to get this, in, you know, if you don't educate them, Twitter will, um, and that's usually a bad thing. <laughs> uh, getting started. So, yeah, yeah, exactly. So, you know, you're, you're hundred percent right. It's, it's about what, because all we're trying to do is get you to be able to perform on the field and on the field, you're not going to get instant feedback. Um, from pitch to pitch, you're going to have to still have to have feel and be able to make adjustments on the fly. Um, and, and let's also not forget the number one thing you got to do is compete. And sometimes uh, we forget that when we, when we stare at numbers and say, well, we want to do this. Well, you know, you're still getting hit. Like, mm -hmm. <laughs> like, can you pay attention? We got to compete better. You know, do you, like you said, you're getting those guys that are, are you closer to the, you know, two seam sinker slider type guy? or the forcing with ride, you know, we're going to throw up in the zone, um, you know, with the curveball type guy, are you, are you looking at how you can, like, what if a guy, for example, comes to you and he does have that four seam ride and he can pitch at the top of the zone, but the curveball just doesn't really have much shape. I mean, he'll land it for like a get ahead strike, but like, he's got that put away, you know, slider where he may not have something on that other axis. You know what I mean? It's going to bear in on a guy like, is that something that you take into consideration when you're trying to put together like maybe a two pitch mix with a put away, you know, like how does that come into play with, with um, designing how that guy's going to attack hitters? Yeah. 100%. You, you, 
it's great to think like, oh, we're all all the four seam guys going to have these nice 12 six break. It just doesn't work that way. So sure. what you have to learn is which each guy is like, how does your pitch in this location play? And the only way to find that out is against hitters. Like, mm-hmm. you know, it may the numbers may not look great. But, man, when you throw it in this bottom third quadrant, you're getting a lot of success. I mean, we've seen it with guys that don't have extremely and, – and honestly, it teaches us stuff. Sometimes we see guys that don't have great IVB numbers, but for whatever reason, every time they make a mistake up in the zone, it's a swing and miss. And it's like, wait a minute, hang on now. Like, maybe we should design to do this more. Um, yeah, I think, you know, trying to – this idea that we have – every pitch needs to tunnel and be hidden by another pitch and we sequence it – it's just not realistic. It's not the way, and it's never going to be the way you pitch anyway. Um, It may be the way you pitch pinch hitters, but you know, so what if you, if these two pitch combos work really great, but you're facing Mike Trout and he's hitting 500 on, you know, fastballs, we're probably going to do something different, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, I I think you always got to work with him what he does and what he does well. Um, I just think again, you know, when you see something that is close to an outlier, independently of everything else like that just tells you like I think it tells you more about usage than anything you know like there are some some like used to we call them crafty lefties but now we we learned there, there's something to that and instead of being afraid to throw a fastball or a, afraid to to throw too many curveballs like we learned that like no this is this this works for a reason um I, t- I, I tell guys all the time if you can't figure out like in your stuff why you know, guys are having trouble hitting it. They're only having trouble because hitting's hard, <laughs> you know, yeah. like there, there's a reason always, if, if you're having a lot of success with one pitch, um, there's a reason, you know, um, and it may be, it may just simply be location, um, but mm-hmm. there is a reason. And I think that's such a valuable tool because we can give that to the guy and say, Hey, this, this area with this pitch, if you can get it there, you have your most success. And so, to get the commitment to get it there, it's a lot easier when you can show them numbers and say, Hey, this is, this is where, where you're at. But yeah, to your first your question, like you can't chase, you just can't chase like making everybody, you know, IVB separated by 30 inches and all, you know, you just can't chase that because um, not everybody's capable of doing that. And it's in, in trying to get there is not always going to give you the best version of each guy either. How, how important is it to you for a young coach? coming up to be, you know, well-versed in these things, whether it's a different type of tech, the different, you know, what the numbers mean. Um, you know, like if you're, if your volunteer leaves and a pitching guy with a guy with a pitching background wants to contact you about a job, like, are you going to ask him about his knowledge of tech and the, and the numbers and the usage of the numbers and what they provide? I mean, how important is that? And, and like the certifications that are out there that guys are doing, how important are those types of things you think? Yeah, I think the certifications are interesting. I, you know, I think if they're too new to tell, you know, mm-hmm. um, if that's, you know, kind of the route we need to go. But having the knowledge of tech, I think, is important now, especially at the higher levels that have access to it. Um, I don't think it's a begin all end all, though. I don't, I don't think yeah. that because I, there's there's we, we do this in every industry, but there's like this idea, this barrier to entry that like there's this idea that it's oh, it's so tough. It's so, you know, it's really tough. Listen. I'm not, I'm not an extremely smart person. Um, and I got here with really no background other than reading fan graph articles mm-hmm. um, and was able to, you know, I, I shouldn't say figure it out because we all got a long way to go to figure it out, but was able to get myself up to speed in a way that we could help our program in a pretty quick way. So um, I think what's more important is the willingness to um, 
question what you believe. The willingness to have what you believe question is more important than being able to read uh, an Excel file because anyone can learn to do that. Um, yeah. But if you're if you don't have the the inner drive to want to be better and say, well, I don't care that I've taught this forever. It's wrong and I want to change. Then it doesn't matter that the you can have all the tech in the world and they're going to make you better. So I think that's more important than, you know, again, we can teach anybody to read a, a, an Excel file and, and what these numbers mean, how they play against each other. And we're, and we're learning new stuff every day with it. Um, I think what's more important is that you're willing to question what you believe and how you do things. Um, that's, that's where I see guys getting better. Uh, yeah, I'm with you. I think you need to be able to be challenged and, and be questioned and question yourself and allow yourself to be questioned. And don't be afraid to say, yeah, maybe that's not the best way to do things. Or, or to say, I don't know. Yeah. I, I mean, I, yeah. So many guys refuse to say that. And the reality is so many things we do not know. And we act like we do. We don't. We don't. I, I'm the first to say, I don't know a lot of things. Yeah. Um, we think we do. We think this works and this relates with these things, but sometimes we see things that go, wait, whoa, wait, wait a minute. Maybe, maybe that doesn't, you know, and mm -hmm. that's where you can get better because with each individual guy, different things are going to matter and they're going to matter at different degrees. You know, some guys, you know, raw spin doesn't matter at all for guys that, that, uh, you know, they get a lot of rifle spin or what, you know, and then there are guys with 12 o'clock tilt that's raw spin really matters. So, mm -hmm. you know, being able to, understand that you're not going to, we, we don't have it figured out. We're not, we're, we don't know everything. That's, that's so much more important than, um, you know, like I said, being able to read a, an Excel file. Now, when you're, you've been, you know, ABCA is going for years and you know, I've done the same and you have, like you said, the Twitter um, phenomenon going on right now. And there's just people, there's people that are doing a lot of stuff, putting out a lot of information, the tech stuff, the certifications, all those things. There's so much information available to coaches right now. It's unreal more than ever before. Where do you kind of, I would say, draw the line or how do you decide as a coach, whether it's at Duke or whether it's at, you know, your first job at Science Hill or coaches that are listening right now that are coaching in high school? Like, how do you take all of that information and figure out like what works for me, for my program, for the personnel that I have, for the um, resources that I have, like, like how, where do you start with all that and taking the information and using it to the best of your advantage? Yeah. And that's, uh, that's a tough, that's a tough question because that's what everybody, um, that's what I was thinking about at East Tennessee, you know, like, how do I, I'm, I'm reading some of this stuff. How do I, you know, I'm playing catch with Blake Smith and I think his ball's got high spin and, but I don't have any way to measure it. Like, I don't know. Um, you know, so I think that, Continuing to educate yourself is hugely important. I think everyone understands that. That's why we go to these things. But what I what I do think is that whenever you're going to put something in play with your players, you have to know that you understand it fully because kids today are going to ask why. They're going mm -hmm. to say, why are we doing this? I've read this or I've seen this and this is uh, this says we shouldn't do this. So why are we doing this? And the, and, and I think it's 100% okay for kids to be asking that. And um, can you can you give a, a cognitive good reason why you're doing what you're doing? Um, so I, I always, and I don't, somebody's told me this, but I always had a one-year rule on the ABCA stuff. I did, we did not put it in, but if I learned something at ABCA and we're going to have kids back in January, you know, five days after the ABCA, I'm not putting things I've just learned in the ABCA in play <laughs> because I don't understand them well enough. You know, yeah. um, and so we've all I done that. that. 
yeah, I think uh, I think that's uh, an important thing. But I think um, the one thing that I think that I've I didn't do well in the early part of my career and have done better is when you see people on Twitter talk about stuff that you don't quite understand, reach out to them. Mm-hmm. Like, get on the phone, get on. I mean, everybody's got Zoom now, which is, you know, it's, 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 a, it's a great tool. Um, and, and ask questions and, and, tell, and tell that coach, hey, here's my situation. Would this work here? How, does, how, do, mm-hmm. how would you do it if you were, and you had, if you had these resources? Um, and, and also, it's just like reading a book you don't have to agree with everything you read. Like you, you may say, no, that I don't, I don't believe that. And that's fine. That doesn't make that person right. You, you, that person wrong, you right, wrong. It just means for me, it doesn't work that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, we play guys all the time. And uh, I have a lot of respect for a lot of the pitching coaches that we've played so far. And I, and I watch what they do because I'm trying to learn. I'm like, Hey, you know, all right, Joey Loberfita is really good left-handed hitter. How do they call the game against him? What do they do? Okay. I see that. And some of it's different than what I would do. And it doesn't make them wrong. It just, that's, it fits their system. And, and you have to, um, it has to all work together because one thing that you put in there that, that kind that kind of negates other things you do players start to go, wait a minute. Now, why he said, you know, he said, we don't, we don't believe in this, but we're doing something very similar to that. So I think it's, and this idea that we're missing out and like you, you can't be successful if you don't have this or you don't talk about this is ridiculous. I mean, there are a lot of coaches out there that are really successful that don't make it too complicated and really have their guys compete and play baseball the old school way. And, and they're successful. That doesn't mean it worked for you, but it, it does for them. And that's okay. There's nothing, nothing wrong with that at all. And like you see at your level, there are guys, there are varying degrees of kind of buy-in from, from pro teams from, you know, and, and some, some of them are successful. Some of them aren't on both ends of the spectrum. So I think it's all got to be, again, like what I taught you, it has to be authentic to you. You have to believe in, you can't ever, and I've been guilty of this as a coach. I've ran out things that I didn't really believe in, but I was like, ah, you know, that sounded cool. And um, I want to be on the cutting edge. So we're going to try this. And, and I don't really believe in it, you know, um, so I think you got to, you, you have to, it has to be something that you truly believe in. And the only way you're going to get there is having conversations and, um, making sure you get to the, um, you know, like, uh, coach Blake, Dusty Blake, who's here before us, he, he, he was a savant with, uh, track man stuff. I mean, a savant, I mean, he's unbelievable. Um, I can't go about things the exact same way he does because I don't have that depth of, of knowledge with the way that he, did things. So if I tried to do exactly what he, I'd fall flat on my face because I'm, I'm, I'm not there. That's not me. Um, but I, I do think there's another way to do it. Yeah. And I think you said, you mentioned something about things like matching up. And I think that's, I think that goes from a philosophical standpoint of like what you want to, um, what, what kind of a, like, let's, for example, like an, a team offense, if your team offense is a West coast, like we're going to get them on, get them over, get them in. And, you know, you want to teach that, you know, hard nose, tough mentality, like we're going to wear it, we're going to steal bases, you know, we're going to hit the ball on the ground the other way and be tough with two strikes. But you're, you're teaching a swing that is straight uphill to create this launch angle, because it's, it's out there now it's sexy, you know, and it's for everybody's talking about it. That doesn't that that physical movement doesn't match up with what your team's philosophy is. So like, you're not going to have that buy in from players when you're trying to get one result accomplished, but you're teaching a mechanic that provides something different. 
One hundred percent. That's a that's a great uh, analogy. I, I'll use that. I'll, I probably won't credit you, but I'll, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll because that that's one hundred percent what it is. It'd be like you know, it's like a pitching coach talking about being quick uh, to to home, but in the bullpen, you're like, hey man, lift that leg higher and throw as hard as you can. Mm-hmm. Like, well, okay, this the, the, those two things don't work. Yeah, match them up, and, it, and and as long as you're, I think as long as there's consistency there, the players are going to see that they're gonna they're gonna respect that there's consistency right or wrong. Like we can live and die with that. And, and teams win with different styles. You, we, in, in baseball, you see it in college world series, those, those yeah. styles c- collide, you know, you get uh, a West coast team that does it a certain way. And then you get another team from a power five to a different way. And it, it's, that's what makes baseball great. You don't have to, you don't have to do it the same way. It's all about how many runs guys touch home plate, you know, and, and how you get there. doesn't matter. Let me ask you this. If you're a, you know, your high school coach, junior college, maybe a, a, I mean, even mid-major division one, that's not well-funded or, you know, any, any position that's not as well-funded as like um, a power five school like Duke, where, where again, like we did it, I did it before. And it, I laugh when you talk about the ABCA, because I remember going one year and Tim Corbin was talking about um, having like their fielding percentage kept during practice. And, you know, he's talking about how he's got during BP and during ground balls and guys are charting it. And I, I, I was like, this is so cool, man. Like, this is the best idea ever. Like I'm going to revolutionize junior college baseball. You know, I took it back to our head coach and he goes, yeah, that sounds great. Who's going to do it. And he's like, you're, th- you're throwing BP. I'm in the bullpen and our other coaches, you know, standing behind the hitters, like who's going to do that. Yeah. So it's like, it has to match up, you know, and you have to, if you don't have the resources for it, it's easy to say, okay, well you can do that. Cause you have the resources. If you're somewhere that doesn't have those resources, what is a piece of like technology or training stuff that you you guys use or you've seen use that you really like or think is really beneficial? Yeah, um, you know the 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 blast is a um, a cheaper type, you know, because you don't have to have one for each player. You know, you can you can have one guy, and we, we've we've done it where you know one guy in one cage. You just you flip it on when you go in that cage, and we have the TV there that they can see. So you know. Uh, that's the obviously Rapsodo is a, a cheaper option than Trapman in the bullpen. Um, Diamond Kinetics had sent us some balls, you know, those things mm-hmm. they, they seem to be fairly accurate, you know, um, so, so it's a cheaper type thing. But I, to be honest with you, you know, um, one thing that Kyle Bunn did, we had a, a kind of a, a side armor and uh, he would uh, he put a piece of tape uh, around the ball. Um, and he would video with his iPhone and mm-hmm. just show and, and at the time we didn't know that we, I didn't know he was teaching tilt, but that's what he was doing, you know? And so there's ways, uh, there's ways to do it without, um, uh, you know, super, we, we have, a, an edutronic camera, you know, for super slow-mo, but I can get as much, almost as much done with my iPhone, um, with slow-mo if I just get in the right spot for a grip and I can show it to him right away and say, Hey man, mm-hmm. this is what I mean when I say under your slider, like, this is what it looks like. Um, so I think it goes back to being creative, um, Mm -hmm. and, and finding ways to, um, there's nothing wrong with like, um, kind of reverse engineering stuff like, Mm -hmm. Hey, they're, they're, this, this data points important and they've got this really fancy thing to get there, but how can I do it without that? You know, just like we teach, we teach tilt. Well, Kyle Bunn found a pretty easy way to to do that with a marker and some tape on on a baseball. Um, so I think being creative, don't try to put yourself in a box like, oh, well, oh, and, and I also think, you know, don't don't use that. We don't have money and don't have funding as an excuse either. You know, they're, they're, it's not an excuse for not finding a way to get your players. But is it harder? Absolutely. It's harder. Sure. Um, but you can still do it. 
you know, and I think you'll have a little more satisfaction uh, getting it done that way than you do, you know, when, you know, you get fancy thing, you set it up and it comes to your iPad. Well, you know, that's good, but it's not, we had a lot of fun uh, drawing, you know, when I was, when I got the job, I was like, man, I will draw some, some, some markers on some baseballs, get these guys, you know, get the tilt right. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I think just being creative and not putting yourself in a box and saying, you, you, you know, well, we just can't do it because we don't have this or don't have that. Like, what do you have? What can you create? Um, you know, like we used to at East Tennessee, we just charted bullpens. We'd have a little uh, uh, strike zone and a different colored pin for which. And so we would say, hey, you know, all your breaking balls are on this side, you know, yeah. um, all your swing and miss are down here. Well, you know, now we have track men that will show us that. But it was the same stuff with our pitcher sitting in the stands doing it, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's a good point. I mean, there's everyone's got a phone. And that slow-mo is pretty good, you know, whether it's hitting, pitching, you know, whatever it is. And then I, I still agree. I think there's a point where charting it and writing things down on yourself. I mean, even when I was in New Mexico, we had the catchers chart themselves. Yeah. And hey, you got to grade yourself out, you know, and if you think you're sweet, give yourself a good grade. And if you think you weren't very good today, hey, take, you know, be honest with yourself. But I think that's that's one of the issues that I think are holding people back is they think they have to have the tech to make guys better. Obviously, it is helpful clearly but find a way man like figure it out and it's not gonna you can't replicate a track man so don't try it but there's other things that you can do to, to give yourself a feel or to see something and, and actually like visually help you and, and the reality is your players deserve it they, mm-hmm. they, they deserve your best effort um to make them as, as good as it you know just because a guy doesn't play at a, at a higher level he deserves the same. And, and, and what I love about it is most of the, most of the small school guys I run into are the, the, the biggest grinders, the guys that, yeah. that are the ones that I, I, I go to head first. We do those head first honor roll. Camp, and I get to meet a lot of guys and a lot of them from smaller schools and stuff. And, and man, it just, those guys, I, I gravitate towards those guys more than I do just because like we're kindred spirits. That's where I'm from. Yeah. That's what I, you know, and I, I'm amazed. I learned so much just from talking shop with those guys before and after because they 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 do get creative. They and and they have to. And yeah. and that's uh and that's what this business is about. I mean, the reason why we're at the point that we're at is because someone got creative and said, Man, it would be nice to know how many times yeah. the ball spins before it gets to home. And now there's a fancy thing that does that, but it started with just creativity. Yep. Yeah, I agree. You're totally right. I mean, that creativity as a as a coach. I mean, that's fun. And, and not only that, but I think as your, as your players see that you're trying, you're thinking outside the box, they know you don't have the resources, but Hey, like we're going to try, we're going to put a black line on this baseball and we're going to see how it spins. That's been done for years. Yeah. Like we've done that. We did that when I was playing like in the nineties, but I mean, that's been done forever. You know, we used to put pennies inside of a tennis ball and throw it. And that was like our weighted ball. Program. Uh, exactly. Yeah. I mean, get a little creative and no, it's not going to be, you know, the flashy stuff you see all over the place, but like there's ways and it's better than nothing. So find, find something that you can do. And yeah, you get, you get some real enjoyment out of that, I think. And so, so will the players. 100%. And like you said, when, when players see that you're trying and, and, you know, just think about it yourself. You showed up to the ballpark and you saw a coach had made something for you mm-hmm. to make you better. Like I would be like, Holy cow. Like, yeah, this guy cares about me. He's at night thinking about mm-hmm. ways to make me better. Like, you know, yep. uh, that's what it's about. I agree. I'm with you hundred percent, man. Well, dude, I'm not gonna take up your whole day, but I really appreciate this conversation. I was going to ask you about 
advice for, you know, for coaches, but I think this whole thing has been really good advice, but is there one thing to kind of sum it up in terms of any, any advice for coaches that are either looking to get into college or move up in the ranks of college? Yeah, I would say two things. One, don't ever turn down an opportunity to work, um, whether it be at a camp or, um, you know, um, where, where, whenever you can get an opportunity to get more baseball, to coach more kids, take it. Um, I, you know, I've done everything from, you know, travel teams. I coached when I was at Milligan in the fall and th- things like that. Um, find, you know, always find an opportunity to coach. But then, you know, the biggest thing it, to me is that, this, there's never a perfect opportunity out there. There's never a perfect time to leave. Yeah. I, I see so many coaches think like, well, I can't leave because this isn't right or that isn't right or the money isn't right or, you know, what it, you've got, you've got to take chances in this business. And some mm-hmm. of them aren't going to work out and that's, that's okay. I mean, it, no one's, mine sure hasn't been a straight line. No one's is a straight line there. You're going to stub your toe, but you're never going to make it without taking chances. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, I came in, uh, my, my wife in Johnson City, she's from Johnson City, her family's there. Um, I came in and said, hey, we've got to move to Durham and I'm going to move and I'll be there for three months before you get there. And, um, you know, uh, this is happening. Oh, oh, hey, I'm moving from Milligan, full-time job with benefits. I'm going to take a job at East Tennessee with no benefits and no pay. <laughs> uh, and, and we're yep. going to figure it out. <laughs> yeah. So th- there, are, uh, there are always going to be drawbacks to every job but if you want to if you want to keep moving in this business um you've got to take chances you know and and um it's the same thing we ask our players to do um you know we ask walk-ons to take chances on us all the time we ask guys with low scholarship take a chance to come here and it's going to work out well we got to be able to have that same faith and take those opportunities too um because they're going to make you better whether it's good or bad yeah i'm with you man dude really appreciate it that was awesome Thank you so much for your time. Um, I wish you guys the best of luck the rest of the season. Appreciate it, Cap. I, I enjoyed talking to you anytime, man. We, we, we've made it too long, too, too long. We'll have to catch up more more frequently than this for sure. Yeah, yeah absolutely. We're going to need, need a few more of these, I think. <laughs> yeah. All right, buddy. Talk soon. Yeah.